Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Struck the rock twice with his rod, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Listen, they murmured and complained. Moses disobeyed and misrepresented, but God still provided. Why? Because God is always good, and we're sometimes good. Happy Friday! In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Feast of Tabernacles. We're in John chapter 7, and we will take up today in verse 16 and complete the chapter. As Jesus shares throughout these passages, many are asking, could this be the Christ? And some are wanting to kill him. So let's listen in. He begins to talk about the Father, and he's saying, listen, I'm not just teaching you things, I'm teaching you what the Father gives me to say, that's the answer to the the question, by the way. Whatever he hadn't learned along the road, through the word, the Father was sharing with him because they spent time in contact constantly. And so um, my doctrine, it's not mine, it's from him. Uh, My will is to do his will. And And he does say, if anyone wills to do his will, he'll know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. What Jesus is saying is the real obstacle to understanding his teaching is a problem of the heart and not of the mind. It's volitional, not intellectual. So when people say, I just can't believe in a God I can't see, or I just can't believe this book that was just written by men, we're gonna see a lot of people saying a lot of things that are very much like that. Now, they're not unbelieving, but they're gonna, in their ignorance, say things that make sense to them but they really don't make sense. He's saying, listen, if you can't understand these things, it's because you really don't want to. Not that you're unable or that they're so difficult. Pride, envy, selfish ambition, they blind men to and rob them of the truth. He asked the question in verse 19, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Um, This is going to open a can of worms, of course. I'm a person that likes to avoid conflict. So if I know something I say is going to inflame the other person, ordinarily I won't say it. That doesn't mean I don't murmur under my breath just like you do. I have a particular problem in the car and the problem is I figure they can't hear me, but sometimes I forget Pam's with me. And, uh, She's like, you really shouldn't be talking like that way about them. I said, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking to them. And they just can't hear me, but I wish they could. But she says, I wish I couldn't. But anyway, I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever had that conversation. I remember John Corson saying that, that one day he's in the car and his kid said, Mom, they're all, all the whole family was together. Mom, how come all the idiots only come out when dad's driving? <laughs> so, so anyway, the people... The people say, you have a demon. So so he says, hey, Moses gave you the law. You're not keeping the law. Why do you want to kill me? And the people answered and said, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Well, see, he knew they didn't. They didn't realize that there was already a, a plan and a plot to take Jesus out, to do him in. And we're six months away from that reality at this point. So Jesus answered and said, I did one work. And you all marvel. He's talking about 
speaking to that man who had lain for 38 years, unable to walk, unable to work, unable to fully function. He healed him with a word. The man takes his bed and he walks and, and they're all upset because of when it happened. Rather than looking at what happened, they're like, well, that shouldn't have happened on a day like this. What day is a better day than to fully restore someone who can't function than on the Sabbath that was given so man could rest and worship? Well, Moses gave you circumcision, he says, verse 22, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, and here's where they begin to show and share their ignorance. We know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. We call it, or they call it, pop theology today. It's just popular theology, not biblical theology. There was this idea that floated about that when the Messiah comes, he would just appear out of nowhere. That's not actually what the Bible taught. It isn't what the Bible teaches. Micah 5.2 said he would be born in Bethlehem. Daniel, if you go back and look at his timeline, reveals that the season in which, if not the very days in which our Lord would be born. And, and so, but, but beyond all that, we have Isaiah speaking to the reality of the virgin birth. So, so much could be known simply by reading their scriptures, but instead they're like, hey, I heard that he's just going to appear. And by the way, when they say, we know where this man's from, they really didn't. And we'll see that in a moment. Well, he told them in the last chapter, John 6, where over and over he said, I came down from the Father. I came down from heaven. The Father sent me that all who believe in me will live forever. Well, as Jesus cried out, then Jesus cried out, verse 28, as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. But I know him for I, I am from him and he sent me. Now, there's no confusion in the minds of those who've already decided Jesus needs to die. Therefore, verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these, which this man has done? Six months after all of this, Jesus will have gone home. He'll come back for the the Passover feast, and they will determine the very same thing. They'll decide we've got to put him to death, and they'll say, but not during the Passover, lest there be an uproar. Of course, he is put to death during the Passover. Why? Because that's what the father had in mind. The time was the father's, and he says, my time, my hour has not yet come. My hour, my time has not yet come. And then he'll say, my hour has come. The time is here. Well, that's six months ahead, but only chapters ahead for us, only weeks ahead. Well, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. 
You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said among themselves, well, where does he go? Where does he intend to go that, that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing? He says, you will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Their unwillingness to embrace the truth, not just the truth he taught, but the truth he was, the way, the truth, and the life, the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies as he walked among them, healing their sick and giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and raising the dead and preaching the gospel to the poor, forgiving sin, all of that, because they disregarded it and, and refused to understand it, it leaves them confused. Well, on the last day, we move from the second now to the third section of the chapter. Now we're into the last day of the feast. It's a seven-day feast, so this is the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The last day of a feast was a glorious day. Tons of worship sacrifices were offered and they would bring these great um, jars and jugs of water and they would pour them out in remembrance of God providing water for them from a rock during the wilderness wandering period. Now, them means their ancestors, of course. This is generations and generations later. But they're celebrating what God did as he walked with them and provided for them for that 40-year wandering in the wilderness of sin. So as the water's being poured out, he's, he's shouting out, that, that, you know, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, it's important to note that the quail, the manna, the water were all God's gifts to Israel in that wilderness wandering period. He planned it, he purposed it, he provided it. And the sad part is, oftentimes, though he had a heart to provide and had showed himself faithful to do it, they would murmur and complain before he got to it. And then when he gave to them, they're like, all right, that worked. I don't know if you're raising really little ones, but if, when you first bring a child home, if you pick them up every time they cry, you're going to be picking them up a lot. But if you let them cry, and I know it feels wrong, you let them cry for two minutes, you know, you make sure you're looking at them, you make sure they're dry, you make sure they're not hungry, you make sure nothing's wrong with them. But if every time they whimper or cry, you pick them up, well, they're going to cry all the time. If you let them cry themselves to sleep, they sleep real well, and you might get some too. So, so here's the point. These people cry out and they murmur and they complain and God responds, but it never leads to them stopping. They continue to do these things. So, so we'll, we'll walk through a couple of these things together and, and there's some very practical observations we'll make and uh, some application we'll be able to take home and uh, put into practice, hopefully. Well, anyway, it was just his goodness that he provide, provided when they were hungry. 
and that he provided the bread daily and that he provided the water and he did it miraculously because they're wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, in the wilderness of sin. But, but it's not just his goodness. We see his ultimate grace because often in response to their murmuring, in response to their complaining, rather than disciplining them, he just provides for them. And it's in Exodus 17, 6. You don't have to go there. It just says the people wept and complained uh, and, and God told Moses to go and strike the rock, the rock that followed them in the wilderness. And we'll come back to it. But he went and struck the rock as God instructed and water flowed forth from it. And all the people had all the water they needed and all their flocks had all the water they needed. So God provided when they were, well, let's say good, you know, pleasing, easy. And he provided when they were complaining and murmuring and sinning. Why? Because he's good even when we're not good. And that's important today. I'm not encouraging you to just do whatever you want because God will be good anyway. I'm simply saying, if he only blessed you when you were good, you would have about one one millionth of the blessings you're experiencing. Because if we have to be good first, well, then that's not grace at all. No, he blesses us because he's good, not because we're good. Uh, and nonetheless, we want to be the best we can for him and to him in response. Well, verse 40, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. This would be the prophet spoken of by Moses, who said, God's going to raise up another like me. What did Moses do? He delivered the children of Israel from the bondage and slavery under Pharaoh. What does Jesus do? He delivers his people from the bondage of sin and slavery to our own selfish nature, our own sinful nature. So another like Moses, truly this is the prophet. Others said, no, this is the Christ. They had it right, by the way. Some said, well, the Christ come out of Galilee. I mentioned that there's a lot of confusion in their minds. This is a bit of it. By the way, he didn't come out of Galilee. He just happened to be headquartering up there at this point. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David? The answer is yes. And from the town of Bethlehem? The answer is yes. Where David was? Yes. They knew so much or thought they did, but somehow they missed the memo that he was born in Bethlehem that he was born miraculously, that he was born at the time appointed, that he was born to live among us, die for us, buried and risen again, and that there's life eternal and forgiveness for sin in him. Well, they're saying, you know, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Again, no. Well, is, isn't he the seed of David? Yes, and Jesus is. Town of Bethlehem? Yes, and Jesus was born there. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. And the officers came to the chief priest and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. This is one of those things that it's easy to read and just go past it. But they send those who were charged with dealing with lawbreakers, and they have Jesus in that category at this point. And they say, you got to go arrest him right now. And they go and they listen to him teach and they come back without him. And they're like, where's the prisoner? And they're like, whoa, you should hear this guy talk. Was, I never heard anything like, you ever hear anything like that? No, I never heard any. They're just so blown away. They forget they're supposed to arrest him. I love that. 
I, I wouldn't try it at home, you know. If they show up at your door, and you don't just start preaching and think you're going to, you know, no, you'll have the handcuffs and they're taking you away. So uh, only, of course, if you're guilty and, and you know how that works. Well, listen, Jesus is innocent. It makes sense. They come to arrest him, but there's nothing really to arrest him for. And it's not the time and it's not the way. So the Pharisees answered them saying, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? as if that were the ultimate criteria for if a person was right or true or honest or for real. Listen, Nicodemus may have already put his faith in Jesus at this point. We don't know for sure. We do know he came to him by night. We do know after his death and burial, Nicodemus will come with Joseph of Arimathea to get the body and put him in a newly hewn tomb that belonged to Joseph. And, and it was the original Airbnb because uh, he's only gonna be there a couple days. And so, um, but anyway, the, the bottom line here is, is we don't know where Nicodemus is in the process, but when they say, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? It's possible Nicodemus had, but right now he's being a little stealthy. He's, you know, an uh, uh, undercover Christian. And so, um, he is going to, though, ultimately make himself known. Well, anyway, this crowd, verse 49, they say, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Hey, guess what? Whether you had it or didn't have it, you were under a curse for all of sin, and the wages of sin is death. Those who had the law were judged by the law. Those without the law were judged apart from the law. But God judges justly and righteously, and he judges all. The only way to avoid judgment is to trust in the one who took the punishment upon himself. That's our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's what we'll learn further in. So they're saying, hey, these guys don't even know the law. So they're, they're accursed. No, those who knew it were more guilty than those who didn't know it because no one except Jesus ever kept it. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Now listen to their ignorance. Are you also from Galilee? No, is the answer, and neither was Jesus. Then they say, search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And I couldn't help but jot in my notes, what? Jonah was from Galilee. Nahum was from Galilee. In fact, they believe Capernaum is named after him. And uh, Hosea, I believe he's the other one that when I research, yeah, Hosea is from Galilee as well. So get this, there are only 12 minor prophets. Three of them are from Galilee. And yet here's the religious leaders, those who's supposed to know the word, and they're like, hey, no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. It's important. John 5, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. Verse 53 says, and everyone went to his own house. Now, I want to go back to Moses for just a moment, share just a couple thoughts related to that wilderness wandering and, uh, and make some application and then we're going to worship uh, once again together. 38 years after Moses struck the rock and water gushed forth from it, 
We learn that rock followed them through the wilderness. You know, the, 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 the father led them through God in the form of a cloud and, uh, and then in the day and fire by night led them through the wilderness. And, and listen, that rock that followed them, that's Jesus. So, so get this, they've got the father going before them. Of course, they don't see him because he's spirit. They just see the cloud and they see the fire and our God is a consuming fire. Jesus follows them and we have on good authority that the rock that followed them is Christ. So listen, 38 years go by. They've been in the wilderness wandering because of their unbelief that the majority have died off of those military age and up because of their unbelief. They refuse to enter the promised land by faith in obedience. And, and so they, they perish in the wilderness of sin. And so 38 years have passed. We're almost to the, you know, ready to go in. And, uh, and they begin to murmur and complain again. And in Numbers 20, verses seven through nine, God tells Moses to go speak to the rock, promising it would yield its water for the people and their flocks. But Moses chose to speak to them instead. Listen to this. It's Numbers 20, latter part of verse 10. Here now, you rebels, must we bring forth water for you out of the rock. And I'm thinking, the Lord's thinking, we who? Because this is the work of God. This is a miracle of God. Get this, Moses is disobeying the Lord because God said, speak to the rock. He spoke to the people. He's disobeying the Lord because he's gonna smite that rock and not once, but twice, instead of just talking to it as instructed so God could graciously provide for the people. He misrepresented the Lord because he acted as if he and God were just, they'd had it with those people and they're murmuring and they're complaining. Now I get 38 years of traveling in the wilderness with a big group, it gets tough. But Moses blew it in every possible way here and God does judge him severely. What's the judgment? He doesn't allow him to go into the promised land. Ultimately, he'll get there. How do we know? He meets with Jesus and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. But, and he'll be in the coming kingdom. But get this, he disobeyed the Lord. He misrepresented the Lord. And in, and in the midst of it, he, um, he struck the rock. Let me read it to you because I want to say it just as God gives it to us. Here you rebels, must we bring water for you out of the rock? Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And the water came out abundantly in the congregation and their animals drank. Listen, they murmured and complained. Moses disobeyed and misrepresented, but God still provided. Why? Because God is always good, and we're sometimes good. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, they all drank of that same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone we read elsewhere. Upon this rock, I will build my church. That rock being the declaration that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And finally, Psalm 95, one, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Do we truly appreciate that God is always good? Is this the truth that you rest in? I know that I do, but there is one part of being good all the time that we need to understand. 
Romans 2, 9 through 11 tells us tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. In order for God to truly be good, God must pass judgment. It does not matter whom you are or what it is that you have done. God's judgment is certain. There are many that see God's judgment as a bad thing and do not see love in it. But God cannot overlook evil and sin and still be good. Yet even in this, he showed his goodness even more. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.